Uh, Father, I pray that tonight you would lift our eyes. Uh, there is a glorious, you gloriously reveal yourself in this passage that we're going to be looking at. And so I ask that you would work among us tonight, uh, that you would help us to see you in all of your, your sovereignty and your goodness. Um, speak to us tonight. Uh, confront and arrest our hearts and change us for your glory. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of, the, one of the, the great things about being a Christian is that we have this comfort and this uh, security in knowing that God cares about us in our lives. There is a comfort there, especially in terms of when times get tough. But if you've been a Christian for any period of time, uh, sometimes you can, get, you can get to the stage where you can almost catch yourself going, Oh God, I, um, I wish you kind of cared for me a little bit less. Now, before you pick up stones to stone me there, um, this is what I mean. I mean those times when God is at work in your life and it hurts. Okay, He cares for you. But He cares for us so much that He is not okay with just leaving us as we are. He works in us. He gets stuck in. And we know that He's doing it out of love. But you can, you can reach these times sometimes where you can kind of go, I just wish you would love me just a little bit less, just in this moment. Now, we could have gotten to the end of, of Jonah chapter 3, and it would, have been, it would have been a very neat ending. So chapter 1, we had the wicked city. Chapter 3, we have the, the city that repents, and we give a, a big hurrah, and we go home, and we have some cake or something like that. Okay, neat ending. But instead, we have chapter 4, verse 1, and it doesn't fit. Because Jonah is a prophet of God. He goes to a city, he preaches, and it, it is a massive city that we read the, the number of people in our passage, he preaches and they turn from their wickedness. That's, that's easily prophet of the year kind of stuff right there, okay? And for this prophet, concerned with the things of God, you would expect after that result that chapter 4 verse 1 would read something like, and Jonah was overjoyed and he praised God saying, you are the one who saves. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But that's not what happens. Verse 1, But Jonah was greatly displeased. Something literally like, and it was evil to Jonah. This is a warped response. Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became furious. Okay, This is something extremely weird happening here. Imagine, those of you who are familiar with Billy Graham crusades from a while ago, imagine Billy Graham came here, and he was preaching to thousands of people, and hundreds of people became Christians. And he went home furious, angry that these people had become Christians. This is what's happening here. This just does not make any sense at all. Now, one of the, one of the interesting major themes of the book of Jonah is God patiently working in Jonah's life. Jonah, if you haven't worked it out yet, is a very difficult follower of God. And if you were God, maybe you would have been tempted to, to give up on him. Uh, God doesn't do that, and, and thank God, otherwise we would all be goners. Instead, God, he keeps on working away at Jonah. He keeps working away at Jonah for Jonah's good, and we'll see that shortly. And he keeps working away at Jonah, because actually he wants to partner with Jonah, for seeing his plan of salvation come to fruition. 
which we'll also see um, shortly. And it's pretty much the same that's on the go for us. God is patiently at work in our lives for our good and also allowing us to partner in His purposes coming about in this world. But that work that He does, that kind of process of, of getting us on board, it is no small thing to have God working in your life. You might know this. Uh, it can be pretty painful at times. Now, that's the kind of context of, of what we're dealing with here. And so with that in mind, with, with understanding part of the way in which God works, what do we need to know? What things are going to help us? Well, our chapter has three things that, that are going to help us, three things that we need to grasp. And the three are the foundation, uh, the rebuke or the correction, and the invitation. won't make any sense to you at this time. Don't worry. It is all on your sheets, and God willing, it will become clearer as I give more words to you. So, the foundation, which is letting God be God. Verse 1, we had Jonah's response to the Ninevites. Uh, he's displeased, he's furious, think kind of clenched fists and, and red face and veins popping out the side. He's, he's that angry, and it's in that state that he prays to God. Quite a state to be praying to God. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a, a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Those are not only emotionally charged verses there. Those are, those are weighty verses. There are, there is, there's heaps in there. We see kind of firstly the reason why Jonah fled in the first place. Okay, it wasn't because he was afraid of the Ninevites. It was because he was afraid that God would be God to the Ninevites. Okay, he fled because he was afraid that God would be God to the Ninevites. And he wasn't happy for God to be God. Because in verse 2, he's basically going, this is, what he's, this is what he's kind of saying. He's going, is this what I said? I knew that you were this God. And I didn't want you to be compassionate and merciful, etc., etc., to those dirty, filthy, pagan Ninevites. And so would you just, would you stop being God? Okay, would you cut out this nasty habit you have of being who you are? Would you just stop it? He won't let God be God. He's not happy with it. You know, as we kind of think about that, um, we should be going that we should want God to be God. Very reason why you can have a, a chapter 3 ending where a whole city that is deserving of destruction is, is saved. The reason why, why you and I, despite our wickedness, can uh, come to be called the beloved of God it is for the very reason that God is God, that he has this nasty habit of being God, of being exactly who he is. Now, uh, Jonah, the book, goes a long way in, in revealing who this God is. Uh, we saw a major chunk of it in chapter 1. I'm not sure if you remember. I'll, I'll jog your memory a little bit. In chapter 1, we saw that this God is, is powerful. He is the maker of all things. He is the ruler of all things. He is, he's, he's worthy of fear, actually. 
He's a storm sender. He is the one who judges. He is the one who gets angry. But it's for the right reasons. There's right reasons to be angry. This is no tame God. Okay, this is the powerful and sovereign God who judges. This is God, whether you like it or not. But at the, at the exact same time, He is what has been revealed to us in verse 2. He is merciful. Okay, he, is, he is the emperor in the arena of our rightful judgment who turns his thumb up. Okay, he loves mercy. He loves life. He longs to grant mercy even to the most wicked. He is compassionate. Okay, there, is, there is a softness to him. Softness in our society means weakness, a lot of rubbish. This isn't a weakness. This means that the, the God of the universe sees and He cares. He is above us in more ways than one. And He could stay like that. But this God who is on, on high and who is lofty, He stoops down from that high and lofty place to care for us. To be compassionate to those below Him. He is slow to become angry. In other words, he judges, but he's patient. He puts up with a lot, okay? He's not the God who flies off the handle. He is slow to become angry. He is rich in faithful love. His hesed overflows, okay? Covenant term, he made promises of great and deep and secure love, the kind of love that we're looking for. A love that reaches and pursues and overcomes. He is rich in faithful love. And lastly, he is the one who relents from sending disaster. This isn't a meanie. Okay? This isn't some stupid Greek mythology dude who loves to smite people for the very sake of smiting them. This is the one who will punish. He will send disaster. But he longs to relent from sending disaster. He is forgiving, like we saw at the end of chapter 3. He relents from sending disaster. He wants people to, to repent. He offers it freely and he wants to relent. This is God. Lift your eyes, see him. This is God. This is what he's like. This is God being God, God unleashed. This is no conditions, no stipulations, sovereign and yet good to the core. That's letting God be God. Now, for Jonah, this isn't happening. And that's why he says, verse 3, Now take my life, it is better for me to die than to live. Think about it. What gets a person to say something like verse 3? You see, I don't think we can chuck this away quite as easily by going, he's like a five-year-old in a supermarket chucking a tantrum. I don't think that's, that's actually what's, what's going on. Okay, there's, there's more here. Because when else do people say something like that? Uh, tragically, we know it's, it's often when a person's world has fallen apart. Okay, and when their world falls apart and they say, I would rather die. Jonah's saying here, my world has fallen apart. And in particular, to God, he's saying, you have taken something from me. Or not giving me, giving me something that I must have. And if I don't have it, then, then I'd, I'd rather die. 
And so it kind of begs the question, what's happening with Jonah? What's going on? When we looked in the very first week at the background stuff to Jonah, um, to him being a prophet, it seems like Jonah was, was the prominent prophet uh, in Israel. He was potentially the most well-known religious figure of his era in, in Israel. And he is a man who is all about Israel. He is all about being a Jew. Chapter 1, he answers the sailors. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is he goes, I'm a Hebrew. This is what he wants to say. This is the most important thing for him. And then we saw it in our verse 2. When he was answering the Lord, he didn't say, it's your people. It's your country, God. Instead, he says, my own country. Here is a guy who loves his people, his heritage, and his nation. And for Jonah, God can be God as long as he serves what Jonah really loves. As long as God looks after Israel, blesses her, and smites uh, Israel's enemies, then God can stay as God. See, the problem is that, that Jonah doesn't have God as God. He isn't letting God be God and bringing himself underneath of that. He's using God. It's kind of like, uh, you know, he's Israel's lucky charm or something like that. He's keeping God with conditions and stipulations. And what happens? Okay, God won't be put on no man's leash. He is not the God who will bow his will to any man's will. He will be God in all of the splendor of working out his plans and his purposes. And so this top religious guy of Israel, God sends him to Assyria, to the country that's likely been killing Hebrews for, for ages, uh, wiping out whole uh, villages. They were the Nazis of that time frame. They were a threat to Jonah's people, to his country. He's sent to Nineveh. He's, he's sent to preach to them, to tell them to repent. And they do. They repent. And, they, and they're not destroyed. And Jonah is furious. Why? It's because his world has fallen apart. Okay? And it wasn't a world based on him uh, letting God be God. He is okay with God as, as long as God is Israel's lucky charm. Okay? As long as God is dancing to his music and doing his will. Now, we look at that and we kind of go, Oh, he's a naughty man, tisk tisk, can't do that with God. But the thing is, is that it's actually pretty easy to see that there's times when we do exactly the same thing. I'll serve you, God, if you do this or give me this. I like to think of God as, and we make him up into the God that we want him to be rather than the God that he is. But this is the thing, okay, and this is important. The best thing for us it isn't having God shaped in the kind of image that we want, in our image, the one that we want. It isn't having God on a leash doing our will. It isn't any of that. The best thing for us, for our good, is to let God be God. There's a, um, you might be familiar with this illustration. It's pretty well known. Um, and it's about the lumberjack and the lumberjacks and the bird. Okay, um, hang in there; you'll be all right. 
the lumberjacks are in the forest and they're looking to cut down this tree and there's a bird that's beginning to, to make its nest in the tree. Uh, and now obviously they don't want to hurt the bird and they want it to be safe and sound. And so they take the, the kind of blunt back of the axe and they, they wallop the tree until it shudders and shakes. They, they sock it. And the bird after a while you know, gets the, gets the idea and it moves on to the next tree. And it starts making its nest there. Now, obviously, this is not going to do because they're going to chop down more than a few trees. And so they sock that tree as well, and the bird moves over to the next tree. And the process continues and continues. It keeps going until eventually the bird reaches a rocky ledge, and there it makes its nest, safe and sound. God's working on Jonah. might be working on you as well. He is socking the trees that we are making our nests in until eventually we're perched safe on the rock. Okay, Think the kind of Psalm 62 stuff that we had uh, read out earlier on. This is for our good. Okay, He wants us on the rock so that, to use some uh, kind of phrases from an old hymn, so that when life's stormy gales and overwhelming floods come, when all around us our soul gives way, we will still be able to say in the midst of incredibly hard and real stuff, this is my hope and stay. He is the solid rock on which I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. God loves us too much to leave us where we are in these silly positions, in these unsafe places. And so for our good, He works in the lives of those that He loves. And if you've experienced that at all at times, you'll know that that's painful. But this is what's going on in verses 4 to 9. Okay, This is the the rebuke or the correction, the searching of our hearts. He's searching Jonah's heart here and ours. There's a very real way in which he's doing heart surgery. He's socking those trees. Because have a look at verse 4. This is what God asks. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Uh, you know, the things that make us angry or that get us, get us upset can help us examine our hearts. They can help us to examine our hearts for areas in which we're not letting God be God. They can help us examine our hearts for areas in which we're, we're really just using God. They can help us examine our hearts for things that rule our hearts and lives more than they should. I'll give you an example. Um, and I've, I think I've used this one before. Uh, you do something wrong to someone. Okay, I'm not talking cheating on your spouse. I'm talking something small. You do something. Okay, You say sorry. Uh, you do all the right stuff, but you still can't let it go. It cripples you. It upsets you more than, more than it should. Why? Well, maybe the amount that it upsets you shows you that in your heart you care far too much about what others think about you rather than what God thinks about you. And so your world, it, it crumbles when you think that some, someone might have this kind of tainted version of you, that they might think that you're imperfect. I mean, who, who, are, we, who are we fooling in the first place there? See, what's going on, on here? Okay? Something upsets you or gets you really angry. And by God's grace, you search your heart for what's, what's going on. And you find that you're, you're actually 
seated on this very dodgy branch. Okay, in this case, you're, you know, in the case of the example, you're nesting in the tree of the opinion of what others think of you. And it rules you. It rules your heart. But if our foundation is on the rock, then it becomes a completely different story. You mess up, you say sorry, and you can handle the dent to your pride. Because you know, you know the God of verse 2. You know that you are trusting in a God who knows your sin. That He is compassionate and merciful. That His love is so faithful and so true that despite our imperfections, He is there. He loves us. You see that? You're safe. You're secure. You're on the foundation of letting God be God and living with Him as that. I'll give you another example. It can happen with prayer as well, with, with especially unanswered prayer. Um, you know those things that you truly often pray for and about? What things would make you so angry or would, so, would make you so cripplingly upset if you knew that God wouldn't give those things to you? Is there a way in which we're not letting God be God in this thing, whatever it is? Is there a way in which we're using God? Is there a way in which this is revo- revealing that there is something that is ruling our hearts and our lives more than it should? Now, it is, it is a limited uh, illustration example, okay? It, so don't get me wrong. Uh, God longs for us to turn our desires um, and our, our fears and, and everything over to Him in prayer. Pray. But check your heart as well. Look at what gets you angry, what gets you upset. What does it show about your heart? What's going on? To help Jonah, uh, God gives a real kind of life illustration of sorts in verses 5 to 8. He's driving home the heart surgery that he, that he started with the question of verse 4. We read it before. Uh, you can follow in your Bibles. Uh, Jonah goes outside the city, verse 5. Not sure when that is exactly. It could be at the end of the 40 days. He's outside the city. He makes a rough shelter there. And it looks like he's, having, he's looking to have uh, a front row seat to God nuking the city. Okay, to God sending some atomic bomb of his, his wrath on this city. It's really hot. Think being out in the middle of the Australian outback or something in, in January. And God appoints a plant which supernaturally grow, uh, grows qu- far quicker than normal. Okay, but you know, relax. This is the God who controls nature. He can do these kind of things. Uh, it shades Jonah. It eases his discomfort. And we're told that Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Verse 7, the next day, Jonah's obviously hanging around for that nuking. God appoints a worm that attacks that plant and it withers. It's a new day. The sun's rising. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And verse 8, God adds to it. Okay, Remember, he appointed a plant. He appointed a worm. And now he appoints a scorching east wind. And we're told the sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God, patiently still, okay, lovingly, he asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
Yes, Jonah replied. It is right. I'm angry enough to die. Now, as we look at that, that whole incident over there, what's going on? Uh, it, there's a, an old school hymnist named John Newton who wrote two hymns to do with this whole plant episode. Uh, except in the old, older versions of the Bible, like the King James Version, it's not called a plant, it's called a, a gourd. Okay, it's a type of plant, so that's the, the word that he uses. And the first hymn of Newton, it's simply called the gourd. And he's speaking about the gourd, this plant that God had given him. And he says in one part, he says this, just listen to these three verses. To prize his gift was surely right. But through the folly of my heart, it hid the giver from my sight. I'll read that again. To prize his gift was surely right. But through the folly of my heart, it hid the giver from my sight. Do you see what's going on there? There is a good gift that has been given by God. A good thing like Jonah's love for his people. Or like uh, a good thing like money or relationships or, or pleasure. But the gift hid the giver from Jonah's sight. And that thing ends up ruling you instead of God. And that is not good. Okay? Our good is to allow God to be God and to come in line with his plans, with his purposes. Now, there, there is this process that is kind of being described here of, of helping us to, to realize the need to, to let God be God. And Newton goes on to speak of that process in another hymn, uh, that painful process of God working that kind of heart surgery in our lives. And it's called, I ask the Lord that I might grow. Um, Dave, you got it up on screen? Uh, it's worthwhile reading through it, so I'll, I'll read through it for us. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know, and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way that almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand it seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? To sin this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free. And break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayst find thy all in me. Now, that kind of process stuff, that's scary stuff. That's painful stuff. He blasts the gourds. He lays him low. But he does it so that, God will, so that Jonah will find his all in God. So that we will find our, our all in God. And not this kind of stupid hologram image of God. Not some kind of God that we've designed in our own image. 
But the real God, you take him as God. No conditions, no stipulations. You take him as he is, and you are on the rock. This is for our good. Okay, this is the foundation. Letting God be God. Now, not to sound like a TV commercial, but there's more. Okay? Letting God be God isn't just a kind of coming under Him. This is important. In the purposes, in the good purposes that God has in this world, for Him to work out His salvation, to give people life, there is a very real way in which He invites us to partner with Him, to share His heart. See, this is the invitation from the last two verses. Uh, the invitation is, is sharing God's heart. Have a look at verse 10 and 11. This is after the plant thing. And so the Lord said, uh, You cared, literally you pitied. You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, Should I not care? There's that word again. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people, who cannot distinguish between their right and their left? as well as many animals. It begs the question, doesn't it? What do we care for? What do you pity? What do you have compassion for? What makes you weep? What's, what really gets at you? Do you have anything like that? God's continuing to work in in Jonah's heart here. He's patiently working correction because he shows that in contrast to a city of living beings, including a whole bunch of dumb animals, uh, mere cattle, in contrast to all of that, Jonah is more concerned about a plant. He cares more for the plant because it serves him. It serves his interests. That's why he cares about the plant. And not to take a cheap shot, but there is there is a real uh, way in which this is turned on ourselves and ha is having a go at our hearts um, as well because we're quick to care for things that promote us, things that advance our interests, things that are for our good, things that we pursue like, like money or personal status or whatever. And we value these stupid plant-like things more than we do real flesh and blood members of the human race coming to have God as their God, coming to have life. And when we think about it in that way, I don't know about for you, but for me it makes me pause and go, Father, will you please forgive me? Will you forgive me for these things that I care about more than seeing people come to know you? And would you in your mercy please work in my heart and continue working in my life? This is what's happening here. Okay? There is a continued correction of our hearts. But there is also this implicit invitation for us to share God's heart. To not only have Him and let Him be God for our good. Okay? The invitation, the glorious invitation, is for us not only to be safe and secure in this God, but to actually to share His heart. To long to see his good purposes in this world come to fruition. To see them come about. 
to share God's heart and His purposes, to weep for the things that He weeps for, to pity what He pities, to have compassion on the things that He has compassion for, to have it beat and bleed for the things that matter to God. What matters to God? What is His heart like? Well, we, we saw it in verse 2, didn't we? And verse 2 became flesh and dwelt among men, and they named him Jesus. The Lord saves. He was a true and better Jonah. He was angry for the right reasons. He was furious at death and sin and the brokenness in this world. He was a true and better Jonah who didn't weep over some stupid plant. Instead, he wept over the lost of Israel and of the nations, of people like you and I, of everyone, of all of us who to our detriment have refused to let God be God, who have tried things our own way instead of going God's way. And it has hurt us. It has destroyed us. This is sin. You'll know it yourself. You see its, its consequences and effects all around you, even in your own life. He was the true and better Jonah who didn't pray, God, do my will. Be the God that I demand you be. Instead, he prayed, yet not my will, but yours, as he was in in utter anguish over what must be done for us to be saved, the terrible price that he must pay for our sin. He was the true and better Jonah. He didn't go outside of the city to watch it die. He went out the city to die for the city, for enemies like Nineveh, for disobedient, silly followers like Jonah, for people like you and I. This is the true and better Jonah. Friends, as people saved by this Jesus, as people who now have God as our God, by God's grace, this passage is encouraging us, it is is begging us to check our hearts, By God's grace, it is begging us to pray for correction, as hard as that is going to be at times to bear. Let's pray that God in His mercy would help us to have Him as God, let Him be God in our lives, which is actually for our good. And then let's pray, let's beg God that He would break our hearts, He would absolutely break our hearts for the things that breaks His. The city that God has placed us in, for instance. And then let's thank Him that as He works His good purposes out in this world, that not only is He patient with Him, with us, okay, and praise Him for that, but He longs for us to partner with Him, to share His heart and to see salvation go out to, well, everywhere. But this city is a good place to start. Look, there's a lot of heavy stuff that, that was said in there. Let me give you a couple of minutes just to, to pause and, and sit and reflect for a while. I'll give you a couple of minutes and then we'll, we'll pray and re, we'll um, sing in response.